Hi, everyone, and welcome to One Tree Pair. Oh, my God. One, One Tree, tree Pairing. Pairing. <laughs> Let's do a podcast about trees. <laughs> I just want to make, like, uh, crazy science with you. Hi, everyone, and welcome to One True Pairing, a.k.a. OTP. I'm Erica. I'm Marissa. And we're both really, really excited because we have a very special guest with us today, our own in-office bae, DJ DeSmider. Hello. DJ writes a blog called DJ Writes, and he works with Marissa and I in book marketing. And he's the best. He really is. I wish all. I wish everyone could get to know him. You should all... Follow his blog at DJ Writes and get to know him that way. Yes. DJ is joining us because we have a very special feature episode in honor of Pride Month. And here in NYC, we have the Pride Parade on June 24th. So we're going to be covering a whole range of couples today from authors to fictional characters to celebs. And before we leave you guys, we're going to play a fun game. We're all going to pick out who would be our top person to march in the Pride Parade with. Even though I know, DJ, it's really hot and you're probably not going to want to go anyway. But who would drag you out in the sweltering New York City heat to be a pride? But first, DJ, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Well, for starters, I am super gay and a cat (laughs) lady in training. So I think I fit the bill in more ways than one. Um, I collect fairy tales and myths like a dragon horde shiny objects. Um, And I really love just talking about my favorite couples, whether they're canon or not. Like many others, I will always go down with my ship. Real quick fun fact, uh, DJ is the person who attacks me whenever I talk shit about Bella and Edward (laughs) in Twilight. So I am going to spend the next hour not talking shit about sparkly vampires. I think that's much appreciated. Out of respect for DJ. (laughs) I do appreciate that greatly. I love you. Um, All right, let's dive right into our episode. So we're going to start with two historical authors that were rumored to be LGBTQ in a time when that was very taboo. So DJ, do you want to kick us off? Yeah. So I'm going to start with Hans Christian Andersen, who is most known for, you know, his fairy tales like The Little Mermaid, um, which is my personal favorite, both the original tale and the Disney movie. Um, But I'm going to talk about his supposed relationship or his unrequited love for a duke named Edward Collin. You know, The Little Mermaid was actually inspired by his unrequited love for this man. Which I did not know that. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I didn't know that until a few years ago, which made my love for The Little Mermaid even stronger because I just really connected it with it on a more personal level than I had before. Um, So Hans Christian Andersen would write letters to, to Mr. Collin repeatedly and... Colin never really responded, and oh, which was really sad. And <laughs> so mean, you know, because he he was a duke, so he had certain society standards to meet. Um, and I'm not sure. I don't think it was ever clear if he reciprocated the feelings or not, based on the fact that he never responded or hardly ever responded to the letters. You know, makes me believe that he probably didn't. But when you take a look at the Little Mermaid, and you you can definitely see the parallels between the story and Hans personal feelings you know he he's the mermaid he fell in love with someone that didn't end up loving him back because in the original fairy tale the prince chooses someone some other woman a princess um kind of like how the duke ended up marrying you know a woman of of better social standing and yeah boring um (laughs) but you know the fact that the Little Mermaid really never felt home at home in the ocean, you know, is is really symbolic of how a lot of LGBTQ individuals can feel, you know, living in this world and society where we're not always accepted, and we just really want to not only fit in, but 
not necessarily fit into other people's standards, but to fit in in a world where we feel like we belong, where we feel like it's home, just how The Little Mermaid really felt like the the world above the water was was where she needed to be and where she actually belonged. Right. I feel like I have to rewatch The Little Mermaid. It feels so much deeper now. (laughs) I mean, Disney does kind of, you know, pretty it up a little bit. There is the happily ever after for them, which is great because I do love Ariel and Eric. They will always be my original OTP. But um, when you take a look at the original tale and Hans Christian Andersen's life, you know, it really does take on a different meaning. It's much deeper, like the ocean. Pun intended. (laughs) I'm going to comb my hair out with a dingle hopper. (laughs) Okay, and Erica, you have another author who had a similar story. I do. I do. Virginia Woolf, who was an English writer um, and was in love, sort of, with Vita Sackville West. Vita Sackville West was a poet and also a garden designer who was married to a guy Mm -hmm. because... As DJ mentioned, in these times, being in an LGBTQ relationship was very, very taboo. But Vita and Virginia were part of a group of writers called the Bloomsbury Group, and they were a little more open and fluid in regards to their relationship and their sexuality, which I think is kind of really cool about the two of them. Just basically, you know, fuck everyone staring at us. We're going to live our life. We're going to live our truth. And they had a relationship from about 1922 to like 1928 esque mm-hmm. roundabout depending on you know what historical sources you're reading and it kind of shifted more into a friendship after they were in their relationship so Vita actually told her husband that they only had sex once or twice so the thing I love about Vita and Virginia Woolf is that their relationship felt so much more emotional it wasn't about physicality it wasn't mm-hmm. about sex it was more about female empowerment female yeah. support They were a great support system for each other and just loving each other in that way, which I really like. Yeah. And it sounds like it was more about the fluidity of sexuality, too. Yeah. So, like, Vita loved her husband, whose name was Harold. He was obviously open (laughs) enough to not be pissy with his wife for having this relationship with Virginia Woolf. So, you're right. It's more about the fluidity of their relationship and not conforming to a certain sexuality that society has decided you have to have. Right. Love is love. Love is love. And it's baller that they were thinking that way in 1920. Woo-woo. Woo-woo. <laughs> Why don't you bring us into, like, modern times? Because I feel like DJ and I have us way, way back in the day. Yeah. Although so, I'm still tearing up over Hans Christian Anderson. <laughs> Always and forever. Sadsies. Um, so my couple is the legendary Elton John and his husband, David Furnish. Um, and they met in, like, 1993. Um, They were one of the first U.K. couples to form a civil partnership when that became an option in 2005. And then they actually legally became married um, in 2014 when it became legal in in England. And Elton John even said that he he came around like at first he he preferred the uh, civil partnerships. But then he felt like husband actually better qualifies like what what um, David means to him and partner felt very. He's like, a partner is like your tennis partner. And he, I think for many LGBTQ couples, they just represent what a, a a modern couple is, what a modern family is. They have two kids. He's godfather to like a million celebrities' children. Um, and he's just so open and who he is. And it's I think it's really nice for people to have that to look up to and to admire. Um, and he, they were one of the first. They didn't have a lot of examples before then so he was neil patrick harris before neil patrick harris was neil patrick harris and it's just not a big deal and i think you can see that in his stage performances too he is who he is and 
he's proud of it. And that came about from some kind of a little bit of a stricter childhood. And so his stage performances are very out there and colorful and bright because he was shaking off that kind of oppression. Um, So I just think he's a really uplifting role model for people. Fun fact. I had purple round sunglasses. Did you? Because <laughs> I loved me some Elton John in high yeah. school because I was that guy. Yeah. I bet you still have them. Shut up, DJ. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now that we've talked about all those guys, we wanted to dip into a couple of people that are our top LGBTQ people that are working right now today. So I'm going to kick it off with she's. I have so many bays. She's bay happy. I am so bay happy. Laverne Cox. We can totally call bay because she is kind of yeah. bay. So Laverne Cox was on Orange is the New Black. And full disclosure, I only know about Laverne Cox and Orange is the New Black through Ron. One of the reasons, though, to really embrace Orange is the New Black is that they were super progressive in their casting. So, you know, we've already talked about Samira Wiley. Yeah. She was on Orange is the New Black. She was a lesbian on that show. Now you've got Laverne Cox, who is openly transgender on the show. And they deal with it in really great ways. Like they talk about um, transitioning and the hormones and all that stuff and how she dealt with it in prison. It was actually really kind of refreshing to watch. So Laverne plays Sophia on Orange is the New Black. And Sophia was born a man, Mm -hmm. but is transitioning to become a woman. And Sophia is married to a woman named Crystal, who is very much straight, but also very much loves partner they have a kid together and the show really gets into detail about what the transitioning process does to their relationship what it does to their child and it's just they deal in it and they deal with it in such a real and raw way that's kind of refreshing and in a lot of ways orange is the new black was a trailblazer when it comes to situations like this because they don't sugarcoat anything and they just showcase these people as real life. This and it's is a very complex issue. Yeah. Like you you're, you love someone, you're married to them. How do you handle them wanting to change? And, and, and then also on their side, they need to be who they are. So. Yeah. And it just kind of showcases loving someone for who they are as opposed to what gender they identify mm-hmm. as, which is, in my opinion, a really refreshing thing to see on TV. Yeah. Yeah, I really think Netflix has really done a great job at not only producing quality shows or or content in general with like diverse casting, but really getting behind it and not making it about the fact that they have actors from different backgrounds or identities, but they're they're there because they are actors. They are quality actors doing their job. Um, And what I love most about Laverne is just that she has been such an incredible trailblazer and a role model without coming across as you know, that she's playing the role of a role model. She's very genuine about it. Yeah. She's very open and very supportive of the community as a whole. And I love that she is also just so open to having conversations with people. It's never like, well, that's not the right way and I'm going to, you know, talk down to you. She's She seems to really thrive on having quality dialogue with people. And I think that's really important because I, you know, in in the world of social media these days, it's all finger pointing and witch hunts and no one's actually getting things done because no one's actually talking to each other. But she is one of the people who is always like, no, like, let's sit down and have a conversation. Let me educate you without talking down to you. Yeah. That's so beautiful. All of a sudden, (laughs) DJ's making us sound so smart. Yeah. Coming up after a word from our sponsors, more of DJ Smartness and more trailblazing LGBTQ couples.
Um, that, however, talking about Laverne Cox gives us a perfect segue into, again, I'm a big fat fucking hoe, my brand new bae. <laughs> my brand new bae is Asia Kate Dillon. Okay. So Asia Kate Dillon was on Orange is the New Black. And again, thank you, Ron, because I had no idea about this. <laughs> Asia Kate Dillon is a non-binary actor. And they played a white supremacist on Orange is the New Black for about eight episodes, I think in 2016. I did not discover this actor until I started watching Billions. And Asia Kate Dillon now plays a character called Taylor Mm -hmm. on the show. The character identifies as non-binary also, but Taylor works for Axe Capital. Axe Capital is basically like a frat house (laughs) with, I'm not kidding, a shit ton of frat dudes who drink a lot, if they're single, they have sex everywhere. There are episodes where some of the managers go to, like, mud rooms and they get happy endings and all sorts of crazy shit like that. So they're old school, like, manly men dudes. And in walks Taylor, who is non-binary and smarter than all of them. <laughs> and is basically just gang signs and zero fucks. You're dumb. You're dumb. This is why. And makes them oodles of money while Axe is trying to get himself out of all sorts of legal issues. And it's just, it's amazing to watch. This character is now one of my favorite characters on TV. And is now one half of one of my favorite couples on TV because Taylor hooks up with a guy named Oscar. I won't get into other details because I don't want to spoil it for anyone who either does not watch Billions. And if you're not watching Billions, go watch it. It's yeah, an amazing show. you want to watch it. It's so good. I fucking love this show. Um... Just the the character arc is wonderful. And it's great to see a non-binary character being played by a non-binary actor who then can just educate the public. And they're very open in talking about when they decided they were non-binary. They were born female, realized at an early age that was not how they identified. And just it's it's refreshing. It's really refreshing to see Hollywood just open their arms to this. And again, give them such a complex character to work with. And And Taylor is so complex. Again, I'm not going to say anything else. DJ, please watch Billions. Well, now I really want to. Honestly, when the show first premiered and I saw a couple of the trailers, I was like, "Eh, this does not really seem like for me. It's not a huge show, but but I want you to try it anyway. But like you're you're really selling me on it. And I really want to go and watch interviews with this actor, too. Oh, my God, Taylor. Like Asia Kate Dillon is wonderfully well-spoken and terrific and... Uh, now a new bay on my gigantic growing list of bays. Well, now we have to go to another bay. <laughs> ah, this is another I one think of my we're bays. all obsessed with this couple. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yes. Oh, 100%. <laughs> um, and that is Cosima and Delphine from Orphan Black, which, oh, I'm done. That's all I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> you <laughs> can't just forever, there. Like happy sobs. Um, if you haven't watched Orphan Black, Cosima is one of several clones who just. Spoiler dis- alert. Yeah. I mean, sort of. They discover their clones and that some of the people in their lives are their monitors who are kind of watching them and taking notes on them and stuff like that. And Delphine is her monitor. Um, but they have they fall in love. They're like nerdy science chicks. Cosima says to Delphine in one episode, I just want to make like crazy science with you. It's so cute. Um, and How is that even a line? I don't know, but it is. It's so good. If someone it said works, that to me, I'd be like, and okay. And I will forever treasure that, right? that quote from that I just want to buy a chemistry set and make science. Yep. With you. You want to make science with me? (laughs) But what do you guys love about them? I just love that. I mean, that show in general took a lot of risks without hesitation. But I love Cosima and Delphine because it was just such a 
like natural progression mm-hmm. of their relationship. And sure, it had you know a lot of ups and downs and a lot of um, very concerning happened. moments yeah. <laughs> where you weren't really sure what was going to happen. But like at the end of it, and overall, like I just felt like their relationship, the their chemistry and their connection was just so honest yeah. from day one. And I, I loved seeing that on TV. And I loved just like watching every week to see what was going to happen between the two of them. And I think both those actors were just phenomenal yeah. in those roles. Well, they're just like love triumphs all. Yeah. They, I mean, they really are when you watch Orphan Black. There's, there's just, so much evil in that show. And there's they really... so much evil in that show. And they basically just kind of, they, they soar beyond it. Yeah. Now shifting off of cable television onto what I thought was a really groundbreaking network television mm-hmm. show was Glee. Yes. Um, but Glee was amazing during the first three or four seasons, and a lot of it was their depiction of LGBTQ characters. Yeah. So you had Kurt to start with, who comes out in like season one, and like his dad starts dating Finn, the football player's right. mom. Finn and Finn and Kurt get into an argument, right? Because his par- their parents have moved in together, and he says some really awful things to Kurt, like yeah. really terrible things, but. Kurt's dad comes downstairs and yeah. just rips him a fucking new asshole. And Kurt's dad is like this big, brawly, like he's a handyman. Yeah. And it's not the type of reaction you would expect in that kind of situation. It's not the type of reaction that was ever depicted. And this is network television. This right. is like right. Fox. And I, it was just really refreshing to see. I love I love Kurt and Blaine for their couple. But I, I, I will say for Kurt's character, I loved his relationship with his dad the most. Yeah. I thought it was so refreshing to see, like you said, someone um, like him who's a manly man and who just without any reservations accepts his son for who he is, doesn't always understand him, can't always talk to him the way he would like to, but tries. And that I think is so important in any communication relationship, but especially for a young person who's of the LGBTQ community. Yep. Yeah, that was one of the things that I loved most was that he tried. Yeah. And, you know, as a parent, he he didn't always get it right, but the fact that he tried was just so monumental yeah. to, to see on TV. And Glee was, was on air when, you know, I was finally coming to terms with my sexuality and my mom and I would watch it together. And it really enabled us to have a lot of really open and freeing conversations. And mm-hmm. I, I'm very blessed to have parents who are always very welcoming and accepting uh, of me and my siblings and, and everyone. But that show in particular, especially the relationship between Kurt and his dad, really paved a way for, for myself and I think a lot of other viewers too. Yeah. But yeah, I think it was it was just really groundbreaking to have all these different depictions and to show there's no, you know, one way yeah. to love and... And, and that you can get through the struggles because like Santana is basically outed and when she's not prepared to be. Um, Which was a really interesting plot line because, you know, obviously that's not a great situation. But at the same time, it allowed the conversation of, you know, what it means to come out and how people choose to mm-hmm. do it and when, you know, I, I think that was really important. Um, but one of the other things that I loved about Brittany and Santana was that it was a biracial couple. There was a lot of intersectionality going yeah. on there, and I really admired that and really liked seeing that. Um, and I think it was really important to see that because you, you just don't. It, yeah. It's yeah. usually very, you know, homogenized, yeah. so to speak. All right. I'm going to stop you, DJ, and I'm going to ask an embarrassing question. What is intersectionality? I mean, for me, intersectionality is just, you know, the crossroads between identities and 
how there is never going to be like one story. You know, everyone comes from very different backgrounds in more ways than one. So, for example, with Brittany and Santana, you know, Santana is Latina mm-hmm. and Brittany does not come from a marginalized background, so to speak. Um, so, you know, there's a lot to unpack there in their relationship. They have very different upbringings and very different backgrounds and identities. Um, on a more personal level, you know, I identify as gay, but I'm also adopted and, you know, originally born in South Korea. So I have, you know, I'm a minority in more ways than one, but, you know, that intersectionality of all my identities, you know, is is, is me. Yeah. It's what makes me who I am today and who I always will be. Yeah, we're all not just one thing. So it's I think it's right. great when... TV shows and movies and stuff can depict people in their full form. And DJ, thank you for that explanation because that was perfect. So DJ's about to tell us about a wonderful book and movie that I've not yet seen and hopefully he won't murder me because we talked about this and I was supposed to have done <laughs> I read both. It, so I did my homework. You but did. I haven't seen the movie yet. You but. did. And I, fa- I have failed DJ on both counts. <laughs> well, the movie comes out on DVD in two weeks. <gasps> oh, perfect. So you should buy it. I'm going to buy like 50 copies and give them to everyone I know. Um, but yeah, so Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda by Becky Albertalli was one of the best books that I read the year it came out. At the base level, it's a coming out story, so to speak, but it's not your traditional teen, you know, struggling. It was more, unpa- it unpacked a lot of different topics and a lot of different issues, but I just loved how it was positive. It asked really good questions like why is straight the default why don't straight people have to come out right Um, (laughs) that's uh, a good question I never thought about that yeah and and you know just again going back to coming out in general and what that means for someone and when they choose to do it and how they choose to do it and who they decide to tell first Um, there was a really great scene where Simon finally does come out but it's not to the person that you would expect it to be you know, you expect him to come out to his his super best friend, and that's not what happens. And later on, the best friend does ask, like, why didn't you feel comfortable telling me first? Um, and I relate to that really, really hard just because it's it's like you want to tell someone you're not super close to. You want kind of that distance just in case it doesn't go the way you plan. So there's just a lot in this book, and, and the movie did a really great job, too, of connecting with people on a very, very personal level, I think. And it, it's very appealing to audiences and readers everywhere. It's not just, you know, a gay coming no. out story. <laughs> At the core of it, it's just a great story. It's a great story. Yeah. Um, so, so I should just be emotionally prepared. Yes. yes. I can't have a shitty day and then say, I'm no, going to watch Love Simon. Because you could have it would a shitty make day. you so happy. Yeah, it makes you happy. It makes me smile. Okay. Yeah. So obviously Glee was this huge success and really one of the first depictions of young people in the LGBT community. Um, And now we have Love, Simon, which is based on Simon versus the Homo Sapien Agenda. And how do you think Glee kind of has paved the way for this book and movie and hopefully future um, content? I think every time we have a form of media that represents different identities, it's they're building blocks. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're building to a to a time where they're not going to be considered diverse books or diverse right. movies. It's just going to be, this was a really great book and a really great movie. And I love these characters for X, Y, Z reasons that may not necessarily have to do with their identities. Mm-hmm. Um, but Love, Simon was just so phenomenal because it was you know, the first major studio teen rom-com with a 
character who identified as gay at the at the center of it. And Fox really did a great job at like pushing it. And really, you could tell they put a lot of money behind the marketing and the publicity for it, which was just really gratifying to see. Um, but it was just so great to see a teen story depicted like this because you have, you know, Call Me By Your Name, which does feature a teen character, but it was it definitely dealt with slightly more adult uh, themes, so to speak. And and then you have Moonlight. Um, there was also a great film called God's Own Country, but that was more of an indie film. Mm-hmm. So it so you have all these these stories that typically revolve around adults. You know, like Brokeback Mountain was pretty groundbreaking, right. which I still haven't seen. What? Um, I know, but that one seems really sad. It is, I, it I is very, want, sad. very sad. I'm tired of like sad narratives. That's, I what yeah. I love most about Love Simon was that it was happy. It you know it obviously had some dramatic points and more but it's, emotional it's a undertones. It's start to but finish rom com that yeah. we've had heterosexual versions of forever. So yeah, and I love that they you know it is a coming out story, but they really were playing up the rom com mm-hmm. angle, which was great because I want more rom coms with you know non heterosexual characters and couples. So it was really great. I will watch it. Okay, so instead of our normal vote, ship it or skip it. We're instead going to pick who our favorite couple was of the many we talked about today. And guess first, DJ. I bet I know who yours is, but go anyway. I don't know. This is really hard because I I love a lot of couples. Yeah. Um, And I didn't really talk about Simon and the relationship in Simon versus the Homo Sapiens agenda slash love Simon because I don't want to spoil it because that's kind of a big plot uh, point for the story. But Simon's relationship with the character Blue is is just so adorable. It's just so cute and genuine, and it's kind of hard not to ship them. Um, but I also do love Cosima and Delphine. They're yeah, they're just so great. You can have two. <laughs> okay, you can allowed to have two. Great, it's perfect. Um, okay, if I'm picking two, so I have to say I think Cosima and Delphine is are my favorite. Um, but you've made me really interested in Taylor and Oscar. Taylor so and Oscar are the shit. I'm going to say I'm looking forward to to learning more about them. Taylor and Oscar. Yeah. 1,000% of the people we talked about today. My faves. 1,000. Love them. How many percents? All of the 1,000 percents. <laughs> As you guys know, we are New York City based. So um, our game today is kind of inspired by the New York City Pride Parade, which is on June 24th. Um, and we're just going to go around and say who we would want to march with in the parade. Guess first again, DJ. <laughs> DJ's like, what? It's going to be hot out. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I don't thrive in summer at all, so I probably would be staying inside. But I would really want Lady Gaga to like Ooh. lead the parade as the Grand Marshal. Good That's call. Good because it's Lady Gaga, and yeah. she's great. But she also has done a lot for the LGBTQ plus community um, you know, without hesitation. So she's just great. And then she can sing a few songs, which yeah. would also be amazing. Um, so Lady Gaga. And then, you know, there has to be a unicorn in there somewhere, obviously. obviously. A real one or, like, two oh, people a in a one. unicorn outfit? No, 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 a real one. If there are narwhals, there are definitely unicorns For somewhere sure. in the world. Uh, the sure. narwhal is the unicorn of the sea. Well, it's true. I mean, I could just have a narwhal. There you go. With a mermaid. So <laughs> there and you it's go. Like, That's my parade. You're perfect. That's a great parade. That's a great fucking parade. Um, I, I think you'll like my – I have a workaround for the whole – walking thing which is that i would want elton john and but he would have to be on like a beautiful float singing with a piano so i would just get to ride and sit on the piano while he sings and serenades all of new york city sounds like a good plan yeah that's my lady gaga could do that too it's true she could yeah 
You guys are going to laugh because mine is super cheesy, but it makes sense because I'm super cheesy. Obviously. I would want to march with a very famous drag queen whose name is Hedda Lettuce. Nice. It's <laughs> a great name. Hedda Lettuce is amazing. Hedda Lettuce has been on Bravo. Hedda Lettuce just looks like fun. What's more fun than marching down fucking Sixth Avenue with a drag queen dressed all in green singing? Also, Hedda Lettuce is one of the few drag queens that does not lip sync. Ooh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Well, this all combined would be the best parade ever. I want DJ's unicorn, though. Yeah. You can't have it. Thank you so much for coming on to our show, DJ. This was the bestest, smartest episode I think we've ever done. <laughs> it probably will be the smartest episode we've yeah. ever done, and it's and, all kudos to you. because so much fun. Um, so We're obnoxiously smart. Well, I try. Yeah. I am Asian, <laughs> so I have to you know, live up to some standards. So where can people find you? So you can find me at djwrites.com, um, but I'm also really active on Twitter and Instagram under at Life in Fiction. If you really want to see beautiful photos of books, you should yeah. be following DJ on Instagram. It's, they're so good. Thank you. <laughs> now, don't forget to rate, comment, and subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcasts on Apple and on Stitcher. And follow us on Twitter at OTP underscore pod, where I will try to stop tweeting, you know, naked Michael B. Jordan photos. Don't ever stop. <laughs> he's Bay. He is one of many Bays. One of my many Bays. <laughs> Thanks again for joining us. Um, and that's it. Cheers. Cheers. Thank One True Pairing is produced by the fabulous goddess Becky Celestina with support from Alexander Abnos. Alyssa Martino is our senior editor. To find out more about OTP and all of Macmillan's other awesome shows, visit us at macmillanpodcast.com. That's M-A-C-M-I-L-L-A-N podcast.com. 